So we're in this series here, and last week we talked about how God is, anyone remember, God is what? Unlimited? Did I hear someone say that? Unlimited, yeah. God is unlimited. God is limitless. And like we said, a lot of these topics as we go through this series are going to kind of blend into one another. And so, think about, well, God is unlimited. That means kind of all his other qualities are also unlimited, right? So, remember we had a little bit of homework. We've had homework each week. And so, I'd ask, you know, just as a way of reminder, we're not keeping score or anything. But uh, did you ask God this week? Did you say, hey, God, help me to understand your unlimited nature a little bit better? And did you ask God, hey, help me to take some steps to follow you fervently? We'll ask those questions again at the end. So today, like you can see, we're going to take a look at just another element of God. And of course, someone asked me, well, you know, did you do this because it's Valentine's Day this week? And I said, well, kind of. (laughs) We're going to do this series anyway. And I thought, well, that sort of lines up pretty well. So of course, this week is... Valentine's Day coming up. This is your reminder, guys. Thursday is your day. And, you know, Valentine's Day is kind of about love, but it really is kind of cheesy, isn't it? You'll get cards like these. I, I do love grilled cheeses. Do you have big plans for Thursday or for this week? Uh, it's fine if you don't. It just kind of is one of those things, you know, right? And today I'm not going to talk about Valentine's Day. If you're ever interested, you can find all of the information you might ever want to know about. What is Valentine's Day and why do we celebrate it and how do we celebrate it? How do we end up celebrating it the way we do now? And so it's all out there on the internet. I'm not going to talk about it today. But instead I'm going to talk about this. God is love. Surely you've heard this said before, haven't you? Whether you've come to church a thousand times, you've probably never been to church, you've probably heard the statement, God is love. And we go, okay, that's cool. Where's that come from? Well, if you've been around church or you're a Christian, you go, well, it comes from the Bible. I know it comes from the Bible. I know it's in the Bible. Do you know where it is in the Bible? We say this a lot. But you know, it's really actually in just two verses in the same chapter of one book. The first verse is this one, 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. And then just a few verses later there in verse 16, he says, We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. He repeats it. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So we have this notion, this definition, that God is love. And it comes from this one place in the Bible. And it's really interesting if you you understand language. Is is one of those verbs that links two things together. It says that God equals love. Love. These things are the same. They are equal. And so we get this from John, and it's kind of a neat thing really to put our minds to, isn't it? Wow, how is God love? God is love. and God. So we're going to put our minds to that today and think about that and consider it. And so what does it mean? What does it mean? What does this mean that God is love? Because love is really a tricky concept. And if I asked you, please, please define love. <laughs> probably be like, uh, I know it when I see it. (laughs) That's what I would say too. What is love? So sometimes the way to look at these things, when we say, how are we going to define it? We've got to say, well, 
let's look at sort of aspects of it and how is it expressed and how is it described. And so for us, we want to go to Scripture. And so let's start today with some verses in the Bible that describe God's love. The first one, I bet you've never heard this verse before. John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So according to this verse, who does God love? The world. God loves the world. Well, what does that mean? The world? He loves the planet? Or, he lo- like, what does it mean? Well, we go to the Greek. The Greek word for this is cosmos, interestingly enough. And cosmos really means the whole world or the universe. It kind of means everything. So God loved everything. And so we can start to get into, well, what does that really mean? But I think about, when we think about, oh, the cosmos, God loves the world Let's think about who's excluded from that. The answer to that is no one. No one is excluded from the cosmos. We're all in the world. We're all part of the universe. And last week we talked about how God is limitless. And so it would follow, wouldn't it, that, oh, God loves everything. Everything that's been created, everything that is, God loves God loves everyone without expression. This verse also tells us how God expresses that love in one way, doesn't it? It says, God loves you, right? God loves the world. God loves you. And so he expressed that how? According to this verse, he gave his only son. He gave his only son. What does that mean? God expresses his love by giving his only son. What does that mean? Well, that is the good news. That is the gospel. If you've never heard it before, maybe you have heard it before, maybe you've heard it a thousand times, it's always good to keep preaching that gospel to ourselves. And that good news is this. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. We are broken. We are separated from God. God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came to earth. He lived the perfect life. He lived a life without sin. And then he died. He died on the cross. He came back to life. And by doing that, he came and he paid the penalty. He died in our place. He satisfied the judgment that's due for our sin. And then that is just offered to us as a free gift. And God says, here, this is a free gift. All you have to do is receive it. That's the good news. That's how God expresses his love for us. But it's not the only way God's shown his love for us. Really? Yeah, really. We're going to look at a couple more of those things. Let's go to the next one. Go to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is another famous verse. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And we're all familiar with this verse, typically, And some have suggested that when you look at this verse, it really ought to be a colon after love. And that joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are all really just descriptions of love. That would be one way of looking at it. But I think we could look at this and say, okay, the fruit of the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? That's an easy thing. Could you go ahead and define God? (laughs) Could you define the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. We've learned that before. God is a trinity. And in the trinity is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God. And it is the expression of God that has come to live 
inside of you if you've received that free gift of salvation. John 14, 17 tells us, Jesus says, You know him, the Spirit. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit would live in us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is... Who's the Holy Spirit? He's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul shows us that the Spirit is what we get when we believe and we receive that free gift of salvation. Have you received the free gift of salvation? If you have, then the Spirit lives inside of you. And so we go back to our verse. What is that first primary expression of God's Spirit in you? Love. God's love. God's love. He is working in us to express His love through us. God shows His love to us by having His Spirit come and live inside us. So we're going to learn more about some specific aspects of that love in a minute. Another verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So God also shows his love to us by adopting us. Now, each of us probably have different connections with the concept of adoption here. And I know there's a number of us here who have very personal connections with adoption. For me, my, my younger sister was adopted when I was growing up and adopted into our family. There's some people here who themselves were adopted into families. There's others who have adopted children into their families. There's others who are working in the foster care system and working with kids that way. And every single one of us probably has some connection. We know someone, some of us closer than others. And anyone who is close... To human adoption will tell you there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of hard stuff that's wrapped up in adoption. And so sometimes we can look at a verse like this and we can go, uh, but maybe, it, it, is that a good thing? <laughs> we really want to be adopted? There's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of hard things going on there. And I would say the reason that's the case is because human adoption can't escape human brokenness. When we think about what adoption is, adoption is really a rescue. It's a taking from one thing, a broken situation, and bringing into a new situation. And when we're in the human equation, you come out of a broken situation and we bring into another situation, but guess what? It's humans, and so therefore it is still broken. And that's why so many people, there's always struggle. We think, oh, there's going to be an adoption and it's going to be perfect. And it's not because we're still broken. But that's not exactly the same thing that we're dealing with when we're talking about God. Because God adopts us out of a broken situation. That broken situation is eternal condemnation caused by our own sin. And he adopts us into what? A perfect relationship with him. He adopts us into eternity. We aren't adopted out of brokenness into brokenness. We are adopted out of brokenness into love and life. It's how God is expressing his love by adopting us. That's another example of how God expresses it to us. And so we could go on, but we're going to move from sort of these expressions into aspects 
of what God's love is. So we're going to look at a few of these. First, forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever considered how amazing this verse is? We don't see people really treat each other this way, do we? I've got here a couple scenarios that we typically are going to see in the world when people deal with hurt and brokenness between each other. I have this picture. Right? Here's two people who are having a conflict. And one, in this case the guy, has hurt. He's done something wrong to the woman. And her response to him is, You have wronged me. You are guilty. You can never be restored. That person, that guy, he's deemed to be an aggressor. He's deemed to be an instigator. And he can never recover from the wrong that he's done. He is guilty. He is stained. He is ruined forever. And we see that, don't we? In our culture, all the time. I think this is one of those downsides of that Me Too movement. And sometimes we can get into these things and we can go, Oh, I'm going to dig back into somebody's past and I'm going to go way back into all the dirty, rotten things that they've done and I'm going to pull it out and bring it into the light and that person is ruined forever. So that's one way we can deal with wrongs. We can deal with sins. Another way, we can do this. You have wronged me. You are guilty. Oh, but you can be restored if... You apologize, and you are punished. So you can have this restoration, but you not only have to apologize verbally, but you have to engage in some sort of long, arbitrary process of restitution and renewal and punishment and penance and all that sort of stuff. And really, this is a false sense of restoration because there's probably never really an end to it, right? It's always going to be there. There's no point of complete renewal. This is not what God's talking about in our verse. And that's why the verse is so awesome. Because the verse calls us to this. Which is, hey, if you recognize you're wrong, I will forgive. And to forgive means to forget. It means to keep no record of wrong. And to not require restitution. You believe that? Sometimes we can do that. And if we have a right loving relationship, we can have that when we operate that way. See if my little slide works here. We move into relationship, and into that relationship is love. We can only have that kind of forgiveness because of love. It can only come from a place of unconditional love. And so we go back to our verse and we say, if we confess our sins, sometimes we say, oh, if I confess my sins, then... And we say, man, maybe that's a condition. And God is placing a condition on my forgiveness that if I do this, then he'll forgive me. And I don't think that's what it's saying. God is not saying, confess and then I will forgive. He's saying, I love you and I forgive you. And the way for you to experience that love and to experience that forgiveness is to recognize, hey, I've sinned. Isn't that cool? Forgiveness is a free gift. It's a free gift. And to receive it, we have to what? Receive it. And in this case, he says, well, part of that is admitting that you need it. And so therefore, we see that love and forgiveness are entwined because one cannot forgive without love. One cannot forgive without love. 
And because we're all sinful, because we're all broken, and we're all sinning against each other, we're not able to love without forgiveness, and we're not able to forgive without love. It's kind of a challenging thing to think about, but if you're married, or if you have a parent, or if you have a child, you know this is true. You cannot love. You cannot love without being able to forgive. I'm going to see more about that in another verse here in a little bit. So we can see that God's love is forgiveness. So that's one aspect of God's love. Another one is direction. John 13, verses 34 to 35. A new commandment I give you, Jesus is speaking here. He says, my new commandment is this, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then in 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So have you ever wondered what to do? Have you ever sort of go through life and say, what am I supposed to do? Or maybe you've asked that question, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> it's like the ultimate like, philosophical question, right? What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? It's a deep question. But can you see here that Jesus and then John, his disciple, they answer that question for us? What is the meaning of life? The purpose for life is love. I think we know this. We even know this culturally. I got this picture. This will remind us. The Beatles. They put a song about this in 1967. All you need is love. Right? We all know that song. It was this popular song, and everyone said, wow, it's so true. And in some ways it is true, but in reality, we can't just sort of summon that love within us and make it work. We can't do it on our own because sin has broken us. Sin has broken every single one of us, so we can't just summon that love. So instead of just love, what do we actually need? All we need is God. Because God is love. God is perfect love. So let's go back and look at that verse again. Love one another. Lay down your life. Love the brothers. Do you see it? That's God giving us direction. What's the meaning of life? To lay down your life. To love others. So God's love is direction. Third aspect we want to look at today is rest. Rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. I love these verses. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I have that first part of the verse memorized because when I was growing up, the church that I grew up in had this big stone wall kind of at the back. I know we have a big blue wall here, but they had this big stone wall and hidden, hidden in the stones was a picture of Jesus, his arms open. And written on the beams above it, it said, Come to me, all ye, because it was, you know, old school English, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give ye rest. Right? That's what it said. So I memorized that, and that's always sort of stuck with me. And rest is something that's really meaningful. It really resonates with me. Does it resonate with you? I don't know about you. I'm really tired. (laughs) 
I'm really tired. I have six kids. I have three jobs. I have a lot of responsibilities. I have a lot of stuff going on and a lot of demands, and I try really hard to take a weekly rest, and I don't always succeed at it, and it's tough, and I fail at that. But did you know, we go back to the Ten Commandments and God says, honor the Sabbath, and yet we see that is the one commandment that is not repeated back to us in the New Testament. It's not repeated back. Why? I think it's in part because of this verse. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 to 11, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So what is God's rest? In this passage, I think we see that God is he's telling us, hey, there's a parallel here. The Israelites were in the wilderness, and God said, you'll enter my rest by entering the promised land. And the promised land was a place where there would be peace, where there would be safety, there would be this opportunity to experience the fullness of God. And we know the story, the Israelites rejected it. At least initially, they were complaining, and they were arguing, and they weren't sure And I think the parallel is that God offers us today rest. And that rest is salvation, like we talked about a minute ago. That rest is salvation. And in that rest, there is a place of safety. There is a place of forgiveness. There is a place of love. Since that theme, we can reject that rest by attempting to be right with God through our works. And then we're not resting. We go, oh, i got to work really hard so I can get right with God. Well, that's not resting. He's saying rest. Rest in my salvation. Rest in my love. That rest is a free gift. So God's rest is an aspect of his love for me. The fourth aspect I want to look at is confidence. Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures how long? Forever. Forever. So when? When is God's love going to end? Never. Never. Never ever. It endures forever. And so if you think about something in your life and you say, Wow, if I had something in my life that I could rely upon and it's never, ever, ever going to stop, it's never, ever, ever going to end, it's never going to quit, how is that going to make you feel about that thing? Very confident. You're going to feel very confident. You're going to have this strong confidence. And I love Philippians verses, chapter 1, verse 6. I'm sure of this. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So what is that good work? What is that good work? Paul's talking here. What is the good work? That good work is salvation. Yes, salvation is an event, but it's also in some ways a process that's working its way out through us. And we already saw that salvation is an expression of God's love. And Paul is showing us that one of those aspects of that love is a confidence, that we can be confident. We can be confident in God's love. And God's love is confidence. And now finally, that fifth aspect I want to look at today is trust. It's the last one I want to look at, and I think that we all understand, right? Intuitively, we all understand that love and trust really go hand in hand. They really go hand in hand, just like love and forgiveness go hand in hand. And any of you who are married, you would understand for sure, those who aren't would understand intuitively as well, that you can't have love without trust, and you can't have trust without 
love. Your spouse, if your spouse is like, I'm just going to stay right by your side and watch everything you do and I'm going to go with you every time you've got to go to the store and I'm going to just sit there and I'm going to follow every move you make, you go, wait a second, do you love me? Because <laughs> you don't trust me. And so we understand that. And so we got to see that God has a plan for us. God has a plan for us. His plan for us as believers is that we would work together. That as his love comes to us, it would flow out of us to work on his behalf, to love and to help others, to offer family to them, to offer healing, to offer support, to offer encouragement. That is what God has called us to do. He's called us in that to trust each other, to trust in him. We need to first trust in him before we can trust each other. And to trust in God, we have to understand and accept his love. And so where is the best place in the Bible for us to read about love? 1 Corinthians. Right? Many of you who have, are married here probably had that read at your wedding or you've been to a wedding and you've said, wow, somebody, they read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so, rather than me just sit here and read this, we have a little special opportunity today. I'm going to have Reeve come up here. Um, you might say, hey, this is nepotism because he's my son, but if one of your kids did this, I'd have him come up too. But my son, Reeve, he memorized... This passage for school, and then gave it as a presentation, and it was so great. We thought, well, rather than stare at me, you could stare at a younger version of me and listen to what he has to say. So, Reeve, why don't you come up here and you can just read this passage? And I encourage all of you while he's coming up here that uh, you could just sit back and listen. I'm not going to put the words on the screen, just listen to what God says about his love and how he defines that. You ready? Well, in 1 Corinthians 13, this is what Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled, and when there, where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of my childhood behind me. For now I see only a reflection in the mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. What more can we say? 
you want to ponder about love, I encourage you to meditate on that chapter this week and um, think about some of these aspects that we've talked about this morning. And of course, as we've done each week, there's a little bit of homework for you. As you go about your week, ask God and say, God, would you give me a greater understanding of your love? Help me to understand these things. Help me to understand trust and confidence and rest and direction and forgiveness. And then take steps to seek God fervently. That's what we're doing together as a church. So I'll go ahead and pray and we'll be done with our time this morning. God, we thank you for your love. And God, as we try to put our heads around that concept that you are love... It really blows the mind. But God, then we recognize that you are limitless and you are infinite and you've created us and you've created everything that we see and everything that we can't see, you've created. And you did it for love. You did it because you love us. And so God, we thank you that your love expresses itself to us in many ways and it has many aspects. And God, we thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that you've shown forgiveness to us in that perfect way through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we know that we can trust you. And we know as we trust you that you can give us direction. And you can give us rest. Rest from the striving of working to be right because we know that you gave us your son and you've offered us forgiveness and that makes us right. Lord, help us this week to rest in that. Help us to rest in that. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.